So yeah, we are we are going to cover the sheep and the goats. So um, Darren reminded me of a couple things. This is a difficult passage, and that I shouldn't be anxious about preaching it, uh, which is good news. Uh, in, in some ways, the, what he was talking about with, um, in Philippians with Paul saying, don't, don't be anxious about anything, telling us not to do something or, and saying, this is how you don't do it, this is how you avoid it, is very similar to this passage in a way because um, it, it's kind of like a, you ever take a test and, and the teacher gives you all the answers to the test uh, in advance and it's an open book test. Well, that's kind of where we are with this um, if we open our eyes and, and actually... Uh, study. And so, um, let's see, and he read uh, Matthew 25, 31 through 46. This follows the parables that we've been discussing over the last couple weeks, uh, where Mikey and Clay did amazing jobs um, teaching us about those. So, uh, through those, we learned that uh, we need to be prepared in anticipation of Jesus coming back and the consequences of not being prepared when Jesus comes back. Uh, and that we need to invest our time, talents, treasures in the kingdom, but also the consequences of not investing our time, talent, treasures in the kingdom. And finally, and, and truly finally, actually, with this, with this passage today, um, Jesus shows us how to respond to his love, his grace, his mercy in our lives, and what, what he expects to see as fruit from our, from our lives. Uh, it's actually not really a parable in, in some ways, because it's not like uh, like the kingdom of, of heaven or like ten bridesmaids. Um, he's, it's more of just a statement of fact that Jesus is coming back. And um, it's about the second coming of Christ, right? Uh, something each of us is going to experience. It's going to be the most public event of all time, even more public than Chad saying, good morning, Chris. Um, it's going to be an amazing public event. It's, it's like the ultimate come to Jesus meeting. It's literally the ultimate come-to-Jesus meeting, right? Yeah, thanks. Um, it could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be a thousand years from now, but it is going to happen, and we need to be ready for that. And that's, what, that's what we've been learning about all this time of, over the last few weeks, and really over the last few months in Matthew, with, um, and Jesus has been teaching his apostles to be ready for his departure, but also teaching all of us to be ready for his return. And so uh, I'm just going to start with verse 31, and we'll, uh, we'll see what, uh, what Jesus is telling us and, and uh, go from there. So verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. So we'll stop there. Jesus is confirming that he is the one to be enthroned as a judge. As Daniel 7, 9 says, as I looked, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. He's confirming that he's the one that's going to be in the presence of all the angels. Uh, Daniel 7.10, a river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 time, 10, times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. And that, we're going to be there. Uh, he's also confirming that he's the one who will reward the righteous. Daniel 7.18, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. And lastly, he's the one that's going to uh, punish the wicked in Daniel 7, 26. But the court will sit and his, Satan's power, will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. So you, you kind of get the picture? Jesus in all of his glory with all of the angels. And maybe this will help. In Revelation 19, Jesus said, now, uh, 
or I'm sorry, John said, now I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and his head on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he would strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he on his robe and on his thigh, a name is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Verses 32 and 33, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So the absolute truth is that, that this is something that we're all going to be experiencing. We're going to be standing there together, all of us, ever, everyone ever, ever created. He is uh, going to separate us one from another. And so when he says one from another, it kind of implies that we're going to be held accountable individually, like, he's, like we individually will be standing before him and give an account for our lives. And it kind of harkens back to the, the parable of the talents where we have, we're kind of be, we're held accountable for what we did with what we were given, the responsibility and the accountability that comes with that. He's going to place each of us either on his left or on his right. And there's no middle ground. There's no fence to ride when it comes to this. There's no lukewarm. Um, let's continue on. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the, cre- since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat, and I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will, tr- will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. This is saying that he will judge us individually based on the life that we lived, what we did or didn't do. And that, that's a familiar theme from, from Matthew 16, <clears throat> where Jesus says, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. So you may ask, uh, isn't that that works-based salvation? Uh, Absolutely not. In fact, repeat after me, I am not saved by works, but works are the evidence that I've been saved. Remember that as we're going through this. Okay, don't be confused. The good works that we perform, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, um, for that the believers do are works that are not, that they are not the basis of our foundation, uh, but should be understood as a necessary evidence of our salvation. We don't do these things because, or we don't do these things to be saved. We do these things because we're grateful to God that we are saved, that we're compelled in our hearts to do these things. And we're going to find that the works that Jesus is talking about are founded completely in love. That they're lowly, 
They're not spectacular, um, and they're not even religious. But, but are they? Are they religious? Because James says in 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So in the parable, Jesus isn't really even talking about faith and hope. He mentions love. And could it be that love, true love, is the evidence of our faith? How we love others demonstrates to Jesus how we love Jesus, right? Uh, talking about love a little bit, uh, Jesus does talk about love in other, in other places. Uh, John 15, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. First John, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. That in and of itself is a challenging passage, right? If you don't love, you don't know God. First John, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. He has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. A couple more. First John, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear God, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Well, that's getting to the heart of it. Love is a big deal, right? To Jesus, love is a big deal. It is the big deal. And to love truly, not in words or speech, but in actions. And that's what he's saying, or will say to us, um, when we're standing there before him. Matthew 22, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Everything hangs on it. It's what he's saying. Everything hangs on loving God and loving people. That's why we put it on the building. Everything hangs on it. And if we tell, show or tell, need to remind ourselves as well, obviously. So it's not the works that Jesus rewards, but the evidence that we truly know him, that we truly obey him, that we truly love him. He's looking for the evidence. To love him is to love others. In this case, it's actually the command and the fruit of the command. So love, right? Uh, moving on to Matthew 25. Then when he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat, was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was stranger, a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or prison? It did not help you. He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So those who Jesus judges, the righteous get to come to Jesus, and the unrighteous go away from Jesus. The righteous are blessed, the unrighteous are cursed. There's a fearsome finality to this, all right? 
and there's no second chance at this point. Both the righteous and the unrighteous seem surprised by what Jesus is saying. How did we, how did we do that, Lord? And both actually say, Lord, um, which is something we need to pay attention to, because Matthew 7 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That's absolutely something that we don't want to hear, um, given its finality. And just being away from God for eternity is enough to be looking at these things really closely. And we shouldn't be surprised after reading this either, because um, Jesus is telling us what he's going to be looking for on Judgment Day. He's given us all the answers, and it's an open book test. And he'll know how much we love him based on how much we love the least of these. Word says we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, all our mind, and love our neighbor as ourselves. The two have always been connected. God has always connected the two. So back to that pretty legit question, is, it, is, teaching, is Jesus teaching us works by righteousness? that somehow can we earn our salvation uh, through righteous works? And the answer is still no, absolutely not. One clue actually is in the parable itself when Jesus, uh, when, the, when the righteous say, how did, we, how did we do that, Lord? And they seem surprised uh, by the fact that he, they were being allowed in based on the things that they had done. Uh, so that means you can't, do those things. You can't check that box and expect Jesus to respond positively. He wants to change our hearts. Jesus isn't defining faith in this story. He's showing us what it looks like, what faith looks like when it's alive on his right, and what it looks like when it's dead on his left. And the eternal consequences of it when it's dead. And the eternal consequences of it when it's alive, when our faith is alive. James 2 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good, even the demons believe that, and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions are working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scriptures were fulfilled. It says, Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. He was called God's friend. You see, that, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, it was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. In light of that, 
Martin Luther uh, once said, oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for it not to be doing good works incessantly. It is not asked whether good works are to be done, but before the question is asked, it has already done them and is consistently doing them. Whoever does not do such works, however, is an unbeliever. So I read that, and I was like, whoa, whoa. (laughs) wait a second. That's pretty harsh, right? Whoever does not do such works is an unbeliever. I mean, that last sentence. Um, But if you think about it, isn't that exactly what Jesus is saying in this passage? It is. And so... He's not even saying it in a, in a more harsh way. It's just the truth. Now, I'm going to do it again. Repeat after me. <laughs> I'm not saved by works, but works are the evidence that I've been saved. James 4.17, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So there's no ambiguity, really, in what Jesus is saying, Right? And we need to take it absolutely seriously. So, so what do the, the, the passages here in Matthew teach us about Jesus' return? It's going to be sudden. We're not going to know when, when he's coming back. We're going to be going about our daily life, if we're still alive. Uh, like I said, don't know when that's going to happen. His judgment will be irreversible. There's no second chance to repent when you're standing before God. There's, there were certain, Looking back at the other uh, parables... Their servants will not be ready for their master's return. They'll be bridesmaids locked out of the marriage feast for not being prepared. There's no middle ground, no fence to ride. And I got to think that if, if, um, if there were a fence, Jesus would swipe left. Thanks, Jeff. Um, our hearts will be exposed. The true nature of who we are before God will come to light right there. Our sentence may be surprising. We need to be prepared. That's what he's been teaching us. We need to be prepared. And the kingdom of heaven is not for those who simply respond to an invitation. All the bridesmaids have done that, right? Or just praying the sinner's prayer. That's not even in the Bible. Kingdom of heaven is not for those who merely express some affection for Jesus. They just have positive feelings about him. That doesn't work. So uh, where do we go from here? Because it's, it's a tough thing, right? So the first thing is that we should be grateful. Be grateful that Jesus will one day set the world right. That, that's pretty awesome. We should be grateful that Jesus told us in advance how to show him love. That how we treat each other demonstrates to him how much we love him. If it were a test, he's given us the answers, and um, it's an open book test. It's kind of like a, uh, I was telling these guys, um, it's kind of like a long yellow light. Okay, we were moving some friends last weekend, and I was driving the truck, Brian and I were in the truck, and, and uh, we were sort of caravanning, and I, I was last. We talked about it, I was going to be first, but I was last, which is also biblical. Uh, so... <laughs> um, these guys cruise through this light, and it turns yellow. And I think that light, that yellow light must have lasted about 15 seconds. Um, and I was grateful because I was still going. <laughs> I wasn't planning on stopping. Uh, 
It's a long yellow light. And it occurred to me as I got through the light, I'm like, sometimes God's grace, sometimes God's mercy looks like a long yellow light. (laughs) You know? Am I wrong? And so uh, I was very grateful for that. Well, he's giving us a really long yellow light here. Okay? He's given us a 2,000-year-plus heads up what he's going to be looking for when we stand before him. Uh, We should be grateful that Jesus loves us enough to teach us through these parables how to be prepared in in anticipation of them coming. But he's also telling us the consequences in these parables of not being prepared. uh, He's teaching us the importance of using our gifts, talents, abilities, resources to serve him and his kingdom and the consequences of not doing that. And finally, and as I said before, truly finally, this is it. He's showing us how to respond to his grace, his love, his mercy, and his kindness. And what he's looking for. So um, now taking care of the poor is not a new topic in the Bible right here. Uh, In fact, uh, the poor are mentioned a couple thousand times in the Bible. In fact, Isaiah 58 says, And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like noonday. So to me, spend yourself means that you, you spend your life. Excuse me for a second. That's just, I'm not a professional. There was nobody sitting there. So. Um, we're to spend our life on behalf of the poor. Our life. Spend yourselves. Now, you might say, whoa, 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 what about taking care of ourselves? What about, what about uh, retirement? You know, when we're old, we're going we're gonna to need something when we're old. Uh, Matthew 6 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So you might say that the Bible's saying, Spend your life on behalf of the poor, not spend your life trying not to die poor, right? And you know that you don't even know when that is anyway, okay? Trust me, we're coming up on a three-year anniversary of my cardiac arrest, and um, I I was gone, just like that, okay? There was no way to prepare for that, and so you just need to be ready, And he's telling us how to be ready. We need to listen to these verses, all right? So moving forward, serve the the people that God has put around you. Not because you want to go to heaven, but because you get to go to heaven. And that that Jesus has changed your heart. Are you ready for that day? Are you ready to stand before him and be held account, account for your life? Are you ready knowing what he uh, is going to hold us accountable to. You search yourself and, and ask yourself, am I ready? Have I done this? Am I this? And if so, if not, why not? So first, the first, very first thing we need to do is just breathe. <laughs> okay? Take a deep breath. All right? Every breath and every heartbeat that we have is an opportunity to respond to Jesus while we're still breathing. 
Every heartbeat comes with an opportunity. Take it. So how can I be ready? Trust in Jesus. Number one, trust in Jesus. Uh, don't go through life close-fisted with, with, with everything that you are. I brought this, I was working with the kids in the twos and threes last week, the boys, and uh, one of them was, at the risk of being cheesy, one of them was trying to play this, play this triangle, and he's like, <laughs> okay. And I'm like, well, that's not the way to do it. You need to get your hands off of it, and, and it'll resonate, right? Well, by the way, twos and threes are amazing. They're all boys right now, and they need help in the back. And this may be a good opportunity to tell you, maybe Jesus is asking some of you to, to work with the kids. It could be. But the fact of the matter is, when you're close-fisted, your life, the, 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 the sound, the, the, your voice, your love may not resonate the way you, you want it to. But if you take your hands off of it, open your hands up, um, you'd be surprised what Jesus will do. Repent. That's number two. It might be number one. Trust in Jesus and repent kind of go together. Uh, Hebrews 12 says, <clears throat> excuse me, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. <clears throat> Number three of how to be prepared is listen to the warnings that Jesus has given us in, in the last few passages. Have you offered your life, your time, your talents, your treasures, treasures, no matter your age, as an investment in God's kingdom? Can we look at <clears throat> can we look at your giving and say that you are all in for God's mission? Can we look at your schedule, your calendar? Not we, but can we all look at our calendar? And does it back up the words when we say Jesus is Lord? This isn't the time to ask ourselves questions about our actions. This is the time to ask ourselves questions about our heart, our faith, and where we really are with that. If we're not compelled to do these things, we need to back up, kind of go upstream of the actions and figure out what's, what's going on. That's part of the opportunity we're going to have here today um, before we take the Lord's Supper to just say, God, what's going on? Um, what's going on inside me? Where it's time to ask ourselves if we're giving the best of ourselves, the first and best of ourselves, our time and our money and our, our talent, or are we giving him the leftovers? Stop. It's time to look at our complacency <clears throat> our apathy or our indifference to the poor and, and stop writing it off as a busy calendar or, oh, I have bills to pay or forgetfulness. Just call it what it is. It's sin. Jesus is saying that. <clears throat> we sang, open the eyes of my heart earlier. Um, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. Not only has Jesus told us how to see him and shown us how to love him, but he's shown us where to find him. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. <clears throat> Excuse me. So go to them. Go to the hungry. Go to 
the thirsty to the strangers. Visit a prisoner, clothe the naked, look after the sick. Use your gifts, your talents, your abilities that he's given you to serve him. To love God by loving people. If you don't feel like it, do it anyway. You know what he's looking for. Do it anyway. Excuse me. You can bet when we go to Africa that when we're playing with the kids or we're eating with the kids or we're holding, holding the kids and we look in their eyes, you bet I see the face, face of Jesus. Right there. And it just makes me want to do it more because I know that I'm, I know, I know because I know that that's what we should be doing. And it blesses me. We're not even doing it to bless ourselves. We're doing it because um, we're compelled to do it. God has given us this gift. So um, seek out opportunities. Buy food for the blessing box. You know, people use it a lot. And before you get, before you go there, it's a blessing box, not a check box. (laughs) Okay? We're not checking a box here going, ah, I'm taking care of the poor. I'm coming, Jesus, <laughs> you know. It's, we're not checking boxes. We just want to respond to his love and his grace, his mercy, his sacrifice with love. Um, if you see there's a meal train, jump on it. If there isn't one and you see there's a need, start one. Uh, we're actually putting together some supplies for some refugee kids, newly arrived refugee kids or those less fortunate. There's, there's a little clothesline type of thing in the, in the lobby. There's an opportunity, an opportunity to help somebody. They need help. And based on the research that, that we're doing and talking to Lutheran services, there's nobody else buying them school supplies. <laughs> they need it. This is easy. So grab a card out there, or see Amy or Betsy. Give your time, your talent, your treasure to God. Sacrificially to the church or an organization or people that, uh, where you see God moving. Find them. If you can't find them, start one. <laughs> I'm not saying that's easy, by the way. Uh, not at all. But go to your neighbor. <clears throat> They're in reference to the kind of inflow without outflow. And it reminds me a little bit of the, um, help me, the Dead Sea. <laughs> uh, it reminds me of the Dead Sea. You know why they call it the Dead Sea? Is because there's, there's, a, there's water flowing in, but there's no way for water to flow out. And so um, sea life can't live in it. It's too salty. In fact, it's, it's very different than, than most seas. And the difference is the outflow. And so with our giving, with our time, with our treasure, we don't want to be like that. We don't want to be like the Dead Sea that just it comes in and we just use it, use it for ourselves or we stack it away for later, thinking we're going to need it um, when we're older. Now's the time. I mean, now really is the time. And, uh, and to, if you've got to dig an outflow by hand, then you, you do it by hand. It's got to go out. I mean, that's, how, that's what Jesus is calling for, okay? 
So practice, practice loving people as an outpouring of your gratitude to a loving, merciful, grace-living God. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, your words are a challenge to us. But God, we know deep in our hearts that we want to be with you forever. Lord, we aren't looking for boxes to check. We, we, We are saying right now, Lord God, show us in our hearts where we maybe aren't doing the things that you want us to do. Um, Show us in our hearts where our faith hasn't compelled us to be the people that you created us to be, the people that you're going to put on your right, the sheep, and and welcome into your kingdom. That's who we want to be. And if we don't even know you right now, Lord God, move in our hearts such that we can know you, that that your your gift is, is... free. It comes with a calling. And the calling is to respond to you, to to love you, and to love people. Help us to do that. Help us to seek out opportunities to, to find you, to find you in the faces of the poor, the needy, the widowed, the orphaned, the people that you're saying you align yourself with when we, when we help them. Lord, we don't want to miss this. We don't want to miss this opportunity. We don't want to waste the, the, the breath and the heartbeat that you've given us. We don't want to waste that. Not only does it waste, waste it here, but it separates us from you for eternity. And Lord, we, we can ask ourselves, okay, so is not giving to the poor, Lord, is it so wrong that, that it separates us from you? We know the answer is yes, based on what you've said. Not based on what I've said, but based on what you said. So help us, move in us, and um, help us to know you more, to know you enough and, and more and more and more, such that we are compelled to reach out to those who need us. We pray that you do that today. Today, right now, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.